You are listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. Hello and welcome to Dirt Work. This is your host, Adam Morsey. This podcast is brought to you by MarketScale and Trumont Construction. Uh, we're joined today by Bob Campana. Bob is the president of Campana Capital and an interdisciplinary investor and developer based in Cleveland, Ohio. Bob, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, Bob. I was reading a little bit about your background and some uh, quotes and excerpts from, from some other publications and two things that um, one to learn more about from you is just a little bit, a uh, high level overview of Campana Capital, the origins, areas of focus, and then um, was really blown away by some of your words related to the power of who you surround yourself with and really the entrepreneurial mindset. So that's what I'd love to learn more about you on those areas to kick it off. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in uh, Lorain, Ohio, which is on the west side of Cleveland, and I, uh, at the age of 10, my father was 48, so I was 10, and he started his uh, electrical construction business, and uh, soon thereafter, he became a licensee for an amazing technology out of Europe for cast iron welding in the steel industry, and I watched my dad's business uh, grow rapidly uh, from the time I was 10, you know, for, you know, my whole life growing up, it was just incredible, and I just wanted to be around it, so, you know, long story short, I ended up coming into my dad's uh, business. I was the fifth of six children and ended up being, you know, basically becoming like the CFO, but I wasn't an accountant by any stretch, but I was a financial administrator. I was his right-hand man. And um, at the age of um, 73, my dad passed away unexpectedly and I ended up taking the reins um, for the family uh, and having a huge responsibility. And, um, we all collectively uh, agreed as a family, we were not going to go third generation uh, in our business because we just didn't think it was going to be uh, the right thing to do. We collectively agreed to that. And what, and I was part of that. And once we made that decision, you know, I realized that my children would never be able to work with me. And I decided that, you know, I, I wanted that opportunity. So after about, um, I would say it was about seven, eight years of running our operations, which were extensive across the country in manufacturing and service-related industries, oil and gas, uh, and steel industry, foundry industry, fabrication, machining, things like that. I started my own business, and that business was a real estate development business. And I learned that business in being you know, uh, associated with my father's growth in his business. He continued to need space. So I, I became the guy that either procured the space, built the space, um, rented the space. Uh, so I became you know, pretty good in, uh, in the real estate market and um, went on my own and had pretty extensive experience in new construction and uh, buying, buying you know, great opportunities in the marketplace, had a, a significant portfolio of leased properties. But uh, I went on my own and in conjunction with real estate development, I I uh, also have a passion for private equity and venture capital. So Campana Capital is a real estate development company, predominantly in uh, commercial sub, you know, commercial uh, developments, uh, commercial parks, uh, uh, industrial parks. We I, I have a lot of history. Don't do too much of that right now. Subdivision work where we put you know put in the subdivisions and sell the lots. So we're pretty opportunistic. We don't focus on anything as our bread and butter. We 
kind of do whatever the market bears, uh, focus on Northeast Ohio. But we're very, very active in a number of real estate funds as investors all around the country. So, you know, our, our real estate exposure is pretty broad and, um, you know, national, not international, but national. Uh, getting to the point of, you know, some of the comments that maybe you've picked up on searching, you know, my background, you know, I talk about the who in life. And um, I've had some great mentors in my life and role models. And a lot of them have directed me to the, you know, uh, examining who I do business with, who I seek counsel from. Obviously, the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life is who you marry. And I'm a big proponent of sharing that wisdom with, obviously, my family and people that I associate with and, and those that I mentor. Sure. Yeah, th those concepts really hit home for me, Bob. Um, working at a growth stage construction company and development firm, too, we've had some really great mentors and uh, really benefited a lot, as, as you alluded to with your father, of kind of that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, the, the entrepreneurial realm is kind of, to me, a balance of two of my favorite quotes. One would be by Mark Twain, which is, he who grabs the cat by his tail learns something he could learn no other way. So, you know, the, the idea <laughs> yeah. of learning by experience and then to counteract that with the importance of mentorship. Um, there's a German philosopher named Otto von, von Bismarck that said, a wise man learns from others while a fool learns only from himself. Yeah. So, so it's trying to find that balance and that dance there. Oh, yeah. Well, um, one of my favorites is the, is the poem or maybe it's not a poem. It's, maybe it's just a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the man in the arena. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing quote. So all of you listeners out there, just Google Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena talk. I think it was part of a speech, actually. But, uh, you know, I have great respect for anybody at any level that enters the marketplace as an independent. Uh, it's not easy, but it's the freedom and the opportunity and, and the, um, you know, there's no limit to what you can do, but there's certainly a floor that you can hit. And, uh, and that's why I admire anybody at, in any business that goes out there and, you know, enters the arena and uh, usually it's going to come with um, pain and a lot of hard work and uh, a lot of dusting yourself off after getting off the floor. But I have great respect for that. And one thing I'd like to encourage all these listeners, a lot of people um, do not take the opportunity to reach out and seek mentorship. And it's as simple as just identifying the people that you highly respect and asking for an opportunity to have a conversation with them, buy them a cup of coffee, um, even on a phone call, seek them out. And I'll tell you right now, the most successful people are usually people who uh, are the most willing to help. And there's no one too big to ask. So make a list of the most successful people that you know. And it doesn't have to be in business. It could be in life. And seek them out. Ask if you could. And if they say, well, what do you want to talk about? All you have to do is say, I'd like to get some advice. You know, you could say, hey, I'm a ex, you know, I'm a 61-year-old man, and uh, I'd love to uh, get some advice from you. You know, when I was younger, I'd say, hey, I'm a 25-year-old young, young business person, and I'd, I'd like to uh, ask you some questions. 
And uh, I, I've had eight superb mentors in my life. I'm 61 now, and I'm still seeking new ones. That's awesome. Yeah, the story of our company was uh, my business partner, Matt Keim, uh, sought out a very successful investor in his hometown of Fargo, North Dakota, when he was a freshman in college and knocked on his door. His wife told him he wasn't home, uh, even though his car, his car was in the driveway. And so he came back the next day and knocked again and finally got that cup of coffee and eventually an internship, uh, an internship and a longer mentorship experience. So, um, how beautiful is that? It's, right? That's the spice of life. Truly. Um, you know, one thing I've seen, uh, in the operator entrepreneur seat is, you know, you have to deal with uncertainty and, and you're the one that's ultimately responsible for navigating uncertainty. So certainly with COVID-19 right now, um, and previous downturns was curious what you've seen navigating that uncertainty today and then how it's maybe been different in previous downturns. Well, the combination of the health scare along with the economic scare is the unique part for everybody, I think. Uh, so from a business side, um, I'm operating under the same format that uh, I've operated in past downturns. Uh, because of my experience and, you know, what you learn in the downturns. So the, you know, the difference today is the health care and being, you know, tied down to your home and or maybe your, your office. But the inability to go out and interact with people, you know, creates some challenges. But with technology today, you can still communicate. So what I found out in our business, you know, the best thing that we can do is be empathetic and understand that you know we have tenants that are are feeling the pain, and we're we're um, progressive. You know we're we're more offensive about this. So we've been in communication with a number of our tenants. We've already you know given some rent relief to some of our tenants, and not that we've forgiven rent, where we've allowed it to extend. You know, for example, a daycare center was shut down here in Ohio because of the governor's. Uh, demands on closing daycare centers. So we, we listened to him. We asked, you know, what he needed. He requested half month payments for three months and then we'll reevaluate it. But he would pay us in full by year end. We have other tenants that, you know, we have been in communication with. We're waiting for a response. But it, with this PPP program, payroll protection plan, a lot of these small businesses are going to be getting some support. So we don't expect to have too much trouble. Uh, our big concern is if the bottom falls out of this thing and we go into a real economic crisis right now, you know, I consider it a, a crevasse we have to get across. And I think the PPP program and the other, you know, Fed and the other programs the government's implementing are going to get us over that crevasse. Uh, I think we're going to have a new, you know, we're going to have a new paradigm out there after this. But being empathetic, being proactive, I think is something that a lot of people don't consider, but I think they should consider. I'll give you an example. Back in 08, 09, we approached all of our tenants uh, because it was a prolonged situation. And we said, you know, before 08, you know, before this hit, what were your intentions? Were your intentions to stay, you know, with us in this marketplace? And for almost all of them, yes, not everybody, but almost all. And we said, well, because of that, how about if we give you some rent relief today and significant rent relief in exchange for an extension on your on your lease term? Yeah. 
we, it, it was received so well. I mean, I got hugs, I got numerous thank yous, I got numerous extensions on leases, and the, and the best part, Adam, was unexpected, was all the goodwill that I got with all my tenants, and they started suggesting us to all their friends. So we picked up all kinds of new tenants and new, new development opportunities because we were proactive, we were empathetic, and you know we weren't a pushover, but we certainly sat in their chair and felt their pain and did what we could do because of our economic position. And it turned out to be just a home run for us. And we're doing the same thing today, but we don't anticipate, we're prepared for, but we don't anticipate this to have the duration of 0809. Yeah, there's a, a reputable developer here in the DFW area that said, which ties into what you were explaining that usually doing the right thing in isolation is the same or can be the same as doing the right thing financially. So I think what you've um, outlined and have heard that um, the rent forgiveness in the short term within the exchange for a longer lease uh, locally is a great example of that. Um, you, you mentioned when going over your background, kind of that your group is opportunistic, but it has historically played in industrial and residential, and then a little bit in commercial and office. How do you see the pandemic, um, assuming it can get curved in a re reasonable amount of time, impacting the various segments uh, in the future? Well, on the industrial front, I don't see it impacting um, that much. I mean, we need to go back to work. So I, I don't see much happening on the, uh, on the industrial. On the commercial office, I think you're going to have some changes. Uh, but you kind of, you know, we talk about this every day some unique changes for office, you know, instead of like, we have a number of tenants, they pack people in like sardines, you know, you got that open concept and they got everybody sitting next to each other. So we think they're going to be spacing people out certainly in the next, you know, six months, year, two years, whatever. So that could mean more office opportunity because they're not cramming them in, but we're, we're not naive to think that remote operations are not going to happen. So, you know, we realize that remote is here. It's probably going to stay how fast it becomes the norm, you know, and takes over, uh, starts impacting the office market. We don't know. But we also think about the other side of it, the ones that do have office space. We have a number of tenants who are, you know, they, pan, they, they just pack them in and they're, they're going to have to space them out. So some businesses can work from home. Some won't be able to. So, you know, the cards are yet to be dealt on that. and We're going to pay close attention to it. On the residential, I got to share a very interesting story. We have two subdivisions that are going right now where we're selling lots to a national home builder, Ryan Homes, which is NVR. That's their their uh, uh, public signal symbol, NVR. But anyway, we asked Dave, "What kind of impact do you think we're going to have?" And uh, they they said, "Look, everything is really good right now. We're not seeing much impact." And their their idea is that there's a lot of people sitting at home right now that are looking at their house and saying, either this house is too big, this house is too small, these stairs are too many. Um, so they're looking like, maybe I need to change. And, and they're, they're looking at the bright side of this thing and we have not seen a slowdown in our absorption here in the last month. And our starts, not, not starts, but our, uh, their closes on you know, new customers. So there's an interesting you know, twist to that. A lot of people think everybody's freezing, but we have not seen that. And maybe some areas are, but we're certainly not. So I think like in everything, you know, with change comes opportunity. 
Obviously, there's issues people are going to face risk with change, but there's also opportunities with change. Retail, I think, is significantly going to get impacted. And we knew this before this pandemic, but here's something to think about, all you listeners. Um, home delivery is becoming, we think, is going to become you know, more prevalent than, it's, than it is today because of this pandemic. And the other thing that we think is going to become a higher priority is drive-throughs where people are gonna say, you know what? I want an end cap. I wanna have in addition to you know, what I have now, I wanna be able to have people drive up and out. You know, So um, distribution's another. Community distribution, we think, is another opportunity where people are you know, going to maybe want to uh, uh, aggregate uh, goods in a community and then distribute to that community from a central aggregation point. So we're we're studying this, we're paying attention to it, and uh, hoping to capitalize on the trend. When we see some of these trends, you know, getting uh, getting uh, traction, uh, if we can identify a site, you know, we'll try to capitalize on it. But with change comes opportunity, and you got you have to have your ear to the ground, got to have your eyes on the market, right? But we really do think end caps are going to be a big deal for for, um, you know, these food companies or, you know, a lot of different companies. Think about it. Um, drive drive up and pick up isn't everywhere, but there's a lot of people that would love to have it now because of what we just experienced here in the last month. Yeah. yeah I was on a call um, this morning with a franchisee operator that all his locations uh, have drive throughs And he said for some of his stores, the number of tickets may be down, but the average order size for each ticket is up. And on a year over year basis, these last days or weeks, or I don't know what the look back period he's looking at is they were slightly up year over year rather than last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another one that I think is interesting is, you know, the apartment market, you know, student housing, um, you know, what's going to happen? We don't know. And we're paying attention to it. So, you know, we're, we're invested in a number of student housing projects. We're invested in a number of apartment projects uh, on the Eastern Seaboard. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do expect change. Yeah. It's interesting on the apartment side, it almost seems there's a little bit of a paradigm shift. Although rent collections across the board, uh, I think we're at 94% last month. So it'll be interesting to see how this, when this month's over, what that number looks like. Um, but it's almost like the the segment that's been really hot the last cycle is the B and C workforce type housing. And it seems like those are the groups that might be more impacted by this downturn. So there might be a little bit of a shift. Certainly a lot of delivery still coming, but to put more emphasis on the renter by necessity, because that might be where the future rent growth is still existing. Um, but on, on the student housing side, Bob, I was reading a Forbes article the other week that said 500, they, they forecasted 500 to 1,000 uh, colleges could close as a result of COVID-19. Have you, have you heard anything about that? I have not read that, but uh, boy, talk about a, a tsunami going through the, uh, you know, the education market and, and they support, you know, they support real estate, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's very similar to the oil and gas market. You know, there's a lot of support real estate around oil and gas development. I mean, 
you know, so when that when that industry gets whacked, you know, you got that supporting real estate that gets whacked with it. Sure. Yeah. Can you speak more on to that? I think a lot of people, you know, our listeners are across real estate construction, uh, but also just general B2B community. Um, how do you view a downturn like this and the downstream and upside, upstream impacts that a real estate market correction can have on other industries? Well, can you be more specific? I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, when I think about immediately impacted groups, I think about contractors, architects, engineers, the cities in general municipalities because of, oh, yes. um, you know, reduced city fees, the bankers. And then on the other side of the coin, it's like, you know, a real estate slowdown. I think it can also be, um, you know, indicators of entrepreneurial confidence. You know, a group that uh, had a, a a food restaurant six months ago, they might not have the same confidence that they would be able to clear their overhead and rent with changes in overall dynamics. Yeah, um, so that's kind of where my head's at with that. Well, you know, just I guess you know, anytime there's an economic downturn in a market. You know, all of these subs, be it the professionals like you're talking about, the contractors, the architects, engineers, and all the bankers, whatever, they all get affected, right? But that's where the entrepreneurial spirit has got to come up. And that's where you, as one of them, need to be proactive and you need to get out there and, you know, knock on the doors and build those relationships, strengthen those relationships, seek out those young up-and-coming uh, rainmakers. So, yeah, hey, there's going to be a cleansing. Every time there's a market downturn, you know, the 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 ones that are not entrepreneurial or they're not um, out, you know, putting some leather, shoe leather on the ground and going out and meeting with these uh, potential customers, you know, they're going to be, the ones that don't do it are going to be on the backside of this thing. So you need to be proactive. Uh, you know, I'm just a big believer in relationships. And, um, you know, when things get tough, man, relationships become even more important, but you don't want to have wait for a downturn uh, to start building that relationship. You should be thinking about that during good times and bad times. So I'm just a relational guy. There's, you know, there's certain things that you just can't deny or fight in a downturn in a market. You know, I mean, I, we were the victims of um, being top heavy in a uh, industrial market on the west side of, of Cleveland called Lorraine County, heavily involved in um, industrial warehousing. And uh, the steel mill moved out, the Ford plant moved out, the shipyards closed down. We couldn't even, we couldn't rent any of it. We had to give it away. We ended up donating it to nonprofits. So, you know, we're, we're very cautious about being uh, over-concentrated in any one market. But if you're a service provider, you know, you can't avoid that. So what's the next best thing you can do? You can search out uh, new relationships. You can enhance current relationships. You know, you've got to be proactive. You're, you've got to be entrepreneurial and uh, understand the relationships are, uh, you know, a big part of decision making, especially in thin times. Um, you know, you referenced earlier that you've been active kind of across the nation. Are there certain regions of the country or even the world, if we want to take it global, that you see having an advantage in the future? And, and what factors do you think would drive these potential advantages? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You can say, you know, Texas was as hot as it could possibly be up until oil just crashed down below 30 bucks a barrel, right? 
and you thought Texas, they're diversified beyond oil, but oil's still huge. So you think, boy, Texas is such a great place. I don't think there's anything that's, uh, you know, insulated to the point where it's, uh, you know, pr protected from everything. The South is, you know, the future, I think, you know, people are moving down to Florida and down to the, you know, Carolinas in the South. People are moving out of California because, uh, you know, of, of taxes and regulations are moving a little bit east, you know, to some of those uh, uh, budding states. But I don't think there's any place that's bulletproof. I think, you know, you know, I'm, we're big believers in Eastern Seaboard with some of the funds that we're investing in in some of the apartment markets. Um, so we like the Eastern Seaboard. Uh, we like, you know, maybe more south than, than north kind of thing. But I don't think any place is bulletproof. So that's why you have to have diversity. You can't have over-concentration. You know what, uh, Adam, I'd also like to talk about, you know, what, what's really important uh, from a, um, you know, balance sheet standpoint for any operators out there. You know, you need to, you know, in good times, you need to shore up your balance sheet to be able to weather the bad times. Um, you know, so your business is all about cash flow and, and balance sheet strength. And, you know, those of you, you know, that don't think about that on a regular basis need to think about that on a regular basis. So when we come out of this and you have the opportunity in the future, you need to build that strong balance sheet. And, you know, I'm a real estate developer, so I'm not adverse to debt. But we still, we still have a family manufacturing business. And uh, we have been debt-free for over 30 years. And we grow organically and we capitalize on opportunities through our ability based on our balance sheet. But when the bad times hit, we're sitting on a very liquid balance sheet um, that we know we can weather years of a, of a storm and then also deploy capital to, to capitalize on opportunities. But a lot of people just don't put enough attention to their balance sheet and building that thing up because that's the rock you stand on. And typically it's the rock. It's typically the rock your family stands on. And, you know, cash flow can dry up and you can weather if you've got a strong balance sheet. No, absolutely. I think we've seen that. I mean, you, you mentioned the government programs earlier. Um, but, yeah, the ones that were accountable and uh, proactive in building that balance sheet to the extent they had the time and their industry allowed for it, uh, I think, will be the winners. On that topic, you know, we talk about balance sheet um, and being prepared for uncertain times what do you think will separate winners and losers? You know, with any change comes opportunity. What, what do you think will be the divide there? Well, um, I think the, you know, the winners are the ones that have um, dry powder, you know, to uh, deploy when they see opportunities. And that's typically how it works. You know, another thing I want to add, Adam, is that uh, in order to uh, ensure your stability, uh, multiple streams of income is another very critical element. In addition to a strong balance sheet, you know, diversification, not having just one line of business uh, in one market. And that's easier said than done. I, I understand that. But you need to think about, hey, as we've all experienced here, a lot of people got the rug pulled out from underneath them, never dreamed any of this could happen. Well, you need to have more than one uh, stream of income if you want to have, you know, more security. So, you know, I'm a big believer in diversity, yeah, diversity in your investments, diversity in income streams. 
and then being cognizant. You know, my dad had a had a saying all the time: "Don't be a big hog, be a little pig." Okay. <laughs> And little, you, you know, big hogs get slaughtered and little pigs keep eating. And that, that, even, that even goes for, so goes for being conservative and building a balance sheet. Don't overspend. Don't spend more than you make. Obviously, save more, save more than you're comfortable saving, right? And the other side is don't get too aggressive and too concentrated when, you know, the opportunities show up. You can't blow all your dry powder quickly. You know, you got to be mindful that this thing can go on. So, it's a, it's a very complicated, you know, uh, dance. It's a it's a balancing act, but it's something that you have to think about because you know most of us business owners, you know, our families are counting on us, and you need to have that that strong foundation to stand on. And and I, and I don't want to misrepresent like you know we're bulletproof because we're not. Um, you know, we've got a lot of loans out there, and we have a lot of things on the table, but we're also you know much more stable on our balance sheet and multiple streams of income than most, not all, but most, but I still know that I'm susceptible, you know, to the market. Well, Bob, you've been so gracious with your time today. So thanks again for joining us. But before I let you go, I was curious if you had any book recommendations or publications that you uh, believe in and you would want to share. Well, I, I'm a big reader. I read, uh, you know, over a, probably a book a, a week. Um, really, I do. And um, so the the all time go to, obviously, is the Bible. And the Bible uh, right now is probably the best book anybody can read because, you know, you can find some some comfort, uh, some protection in the in the storm we're facing. But in addition to that, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People is one of my all time favorites by Dale Carnegie. If you haven't read it, you have to read it. Get your family to read it. There's a course that they offer. You should take it. Uh, I'm a graduate. My wife's a graduate. All three of my children are graduates and my uh, grandchildren will be as long as I'm alive uh, of the program. Uh, and the Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is just an all-time winner as well. And then on my subscriptions, I strongly recommend Farnham Street and Shane Parrish is the, um, the uh, guy who started Farnham Street. And it's named after the address for Berkshire Hathaway in Omaha, Nebraska. Farnham Street's their address. So look that up. And then James Clear has an amazing weekly called 321 Thursday. And it's three ideas, two quotes, and one question. So those are just two, two just awesome subscriptions that I look forward to every week. Very good. Well, Bob, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, enjoyed it greatly and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Adam. Best wishes to you. And uh, I hope uh, if you haven't read those books, you you dig into them quick. Thanks for listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. We'll have a new episode out next month. If you have any story suggestions or want more info on the show or myself, hit me up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.